Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm sharing some personal stories having to do with change management and specifically how to create lasting change within the enterprise. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Collab Talk podcast. Uh, just a little different speed here today. It's just me just talking and sharing one of my all-time favorite uh, topics. It's actually a uh, first version of this that I gave as a keynote for the Digital Workplace Conference. Uh, well, both of the conferences held in, uh, in Auckland, New Zealand back in uh, May 2017 and then in Sydney, Australia later that year. I've done variations of this and told some of the stories for years. Uh, but um, yeah, this is a, uh, I created a bunch of content working with a former client, Caligo, uh, around the idea of needing to create and support uh, digital workplace champions. And, and what does that mean? I'm not going to get in the detail of, you know, the, you know, the digital workplace and digital transformation and kind of all those those catchphrases there. It's really more or less a talk about uh, supporting change management within an organization and what works and what doesn't work. So just to kind of get into that, and, and you know, I, I originally created this as kind of a lightning talk and then expanded it, but the essentially I'm going to share three stories. Real stories, these are from my life and my experiences. And then I'm going to talk about kind of the four ingredients for success uh, and then wrap it up with really one suggestion on how you can make it your own. So the first story, uh, one of my all-time favorite, in fact, people have asked me to tell this story. Um, I'll just say that my oldest son is not a fan of this story uh, because he is at the heart of the story. But it's uh, what I call the long walk home. And just to set the stage a few years back, uh, living in uh, east of the Seattle area, we were there for 12 years in this little town of Duval, Washington. And if you've been out that area, the majority of the town is all up on a hill. And we lived in a neighborhood up at the top, um, pretty close to uh, the high school there where my kids were attending and we were less than a mile from the high school. And I always like to point out that we were downhill from the high school. Uh, so I worked from home. I've worked from home for more than a decade. And I was working from home, had the music going, had a full day's docket of activity. And I get uh, kind of mid-afternoon, early afternoon, get a phone call from my son. And, hey, Dad, can you uh, come and get me? And so I kind of paused the music. And this is not a normal request. And so I was like, okay, yeah, what's going on? It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I, I can't, I can't walk home. I said, oh, you're exhausted. Like what, what's going on? It's like, no, I just, I just finished with our cross country. And I was like, okay, so you're running outside and you're tired and you're too tired to walk the less than a mile downhill back home. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, I was like, look, I'm not going to come pick you up. You're all sweaty. You can walk. Just walk home. And he's just arguing with me back and forth. And so finally, if you have teenagers, you can understand. Finally, you just I'm fed up. Like, fine. And so I drive up to pick him up. Now, just to set the stage of the high school, of course, you know, after school, the sports kids are all around. There's still kids. There's teachers outside talking, some parents here and there. Uh, and there's like the drive-in. There's the main road, and then there's the, the kind of turnaround area where you drive up, pick up kids, and drive back out and down the street. So it's a nice day. I have all of my windows down in my in my car. I've got the sunroof all the way open, and I have Duran Duran blaring in my stereo uh, at uh, ear bleed levels. And so I come slowly rolling into the drive-through, and I see him at the end of the drive-through sitting uh, on a rock waiting, uh, and. I immediately start honking the horn. As the music is going, I honk the horn. I drive slowly, slower than normal, so that there's plenty of time for everyone to hear me and see me. And then I start with the honking, repeatedly honking, as I get closer to him, start waving out of the, uh, out of the sunroof and start yelling, Preston! Preston, it's me! It's Dad! I'm here to pick you up! And as I get closer, even closer, I start yelling repeatedly, Preston Buckley, I'm your dad! I love you! I'm here to pick you up! Hello, it's me! And waving frantically with my my right hand out of the sunroof. And I roll to a stop, still honking repeatedly, music going, me screaming, and he sits there and he just kind of drops his head down and shakes his head. And then he gets up. He's trying not to smile. And as he's getting in, I'm still honking the horn. Of course, people are coming out of the school looking. What's going on? Kids are laughing. You know, parents and teachers are outside. Very embarrassing for him. He gets into the car. I throw my arms around him. I kiss him on the cheek. I'm hugging him. And I start to keep honking. And I'm pointing to kids, like, making eye contact. Like, this is my son. I love my son. I'm here to pick him up. Woo! And drive out. And as we drive out of the drive through area and turn right, and I'm still honking and just shouting, and we, as we exit, like drive down the street, there's one stop sign between the school and our home. And as I roll to a stop at the stop sign, I turn the music down and he turns to me and he says, well played, dad. And uh, just to wrap up to that story as we get home, he gets angry then, you know, again, that teenage thing. Uh, he thought it was funny, but then he was just the embarrassment. I think everything just kind of rushed in and hit him. And, uh, you know, then the very next day, I get a phone call again, uh, mid-afternoon. And I see him, got caller ID. I know it's him, you know. And uh, he's like, Dad, is Mom home? I'm like, hey, Preston, do you need a ride? He's like, is Mom home? It's like, do you need me to come pick you up? No, is Mom home? No, she's not home. Click. He didn't ask me for a ride home after that. So let's let's talk about that experience. And, you know, what is the secret to change and making change happen? 
So within your organization, I mean, one option is that you make the alternative to that change incredibly embarrassing for your end users. Yeah, probably not the best scenario there. Um, is the secret to success of change about selecting the right tools? Is it about training people properly? Uh, no, the secret to change, making change happen, is getting your employees, your end users, to alter their behavior permanently. Because that's a problem with a lot of change management strategies or training. Like, hey, we did the training. We rolled out the new tool, the new platform, whatever that thing is. And then we've not really looked at the behaviors and people will then go back to what they know, what they're comfortable with. And so, yes, with I, I did make change happen with my son. Uh, he no longer asked me for rides home from school. Uh, but uh, uh, was it a healthy change management process? Is it a, a practice that you could extend into your organization? Probably not. When end users or employees can change, they can adapt to the changes then they become more efficient. They become more effective, more collaborative, and more innovative. They're leveraging the, the technology that uh, I'm assuming you manage within your organization. If you're listening to this, this podcast, generally we're technologists where we work within IT somewhere. The problem is that change itself, it's, in, it's incredibly difficult. And if you have managed any aspect of change within your organization, you realize that, that it's, it's not something that you can do once, let go of and walk away from. No, it's, it takes time. It takes repeated uh, nudging and training and encouragement. And you know, it's the whole stick. Sometimes it's the stick. Sometimes it's the carrot to lead them. All right. My second story here, I kind of call the overly eager manager a painful story from my experience um, early on in my career, but I was working as a technical project manager. I owned all of the applications that were on the front end of our uh, data warehousing effort. So if you think about like business objects and SaaS and, and other you know, uh, home brewed solutions or ticketing system and other ways to engage with support, all those things. I supported the, all those front-end applications. And I worked for about 18 months on this massive project. It was partly why I was hired uh, to work for the phone company. Um, having come from EDS, I helped manage the EDS uh, consulting team that there. I was doing a data center consolidation project. So just to give you this... The, an idea of the scope, the scale of this. We were consolidating three data centers, so EDS and Rancho Cordova, uh, which we were uh, leveraging, uh, something down in, a bunch of systems that were down in Anaheim, California, and then we had a facility in, in Hayward, California, there in the Bay Area, and we were consolidating all of those marketing systems, those platforms that I supported, to our, um, the phone company owned a, a huge facility in Fairfield, California. And so we were moving everything across. But at the same time, it wasn't enough to move the systems that we supported and consolidate data centers, but we were also upgrading our hardware and moving away from our SGI 
platform to HP, and then also deploying some new tools. So a lot happening. That's why it was an 18 month of planning and essentially executed over a single weekend. So that weekend came, went, we were successful in our move. It was viewed as a highly successful project. Uh, and, and as we did, I was doing kind of the, uh, you know, the post uh, go live rounds of meetings. And, and then there was a week. So there's the week after the go live that weekend. I took some time off and literally came back into the office after having a couple days off and met with my manager and, and said, okay, hey, we've got kind of the postmortems and other some trainings and other things that we're doing that are all part of the schedule, but it's really just a matter of execution. But just want to get an idea of like, what's next? You know, what would you like me to begin focusing on for the next project? And he took off his glasses and kind of sighed and said, Christian, I think you need to find a new job. And I was taken aback. I just, are, are you kidding? This thing was a huge success. And he says, it was. He says, it was, you accomplished a huge project. It was very successful. Uh, the executives that were involved, all the stakeholders, very happy with the project. But here within our team, a couple hundred people within this, uh, it was a shared services IT organization. It says, nobody wants to work with you. Says in, in working towards your goals on that project, you burned every bridge here internally. And from my perspective, I was holding people accountable for their commitments. I was pushing and pushing towards these deadlines and get, getting tasks completed. But I learned a valuable lesson through this experience. And I went and I found another job within uh, you know, less than a month. I started that new job still within the, the, the company, uh, but I just changed business units and found success over with that other team, but uh, learned those valuable lessons um, about making lasting change. Um, people follow the path of least resistance. So they, they want to get their work done, but they want to do it within the way that they're comfortable. And how you reach your destination how I was approaching getting people, getting buy-in, getting people to deliver on their commitments, how was just as important as reaching that destination. That's what I had lost sight on. So relate that to my son. I knew I wasn't causing any long-term damage to my, my children, for the most part. <laughs> my, my son and I can joke about it now. Uh, and, and he... Uh, he can, he's, it's years have gone by. He can appreciate he's, he's married and has, uh, has uh, his firstborn, his son. He can appreciate, uh, the humor in that story now. Um, but within your work, you know, focusing on how you're achieving those goals and what we're striving towards is so much uh, more important than that end result because you have to continue working with those people, usually. Um, but we focus so much on process and technology. And for me, I was so project plan driven. You committed to it. You signed up for it. You gave me that date. All I'm doing is holding you to those dates that you committed because of all of the other dependencies. 
But sometimes we're so focused on that process, so focused on technology, so focused on the plan that we forget the people that are involved. So the idea of, of moving to a digital workplace and that digital transformation, whatever you want to call it, whether you're deploying a new enterprise platform, I work in the collaboration sector. You know, there, there are, and this is nothing new here, but three areas of focus. There's technology, there's process, and there's people. So the technology, it's not just about automating and streamlining the activities. It can fundamentally change what we do and how we do it. So there's just amazing tech that's out there available today. If you think of like AI and machine learning and all of the automation capabilities that are possible. Then you have the processes, the business processes that are about aligning people and technology. That can be a key differentiator as well for your business and can dramatically change in that future vision of what you're trying to build. So the processes can be more streamlined and refined so that there's less you know, work that needs to be done by people. So people can focus on really where value add is happening and, and less on getting the business to that end result. But finally, you know, people, they can adapt and change, but we often we pay the least amount of attention to the constant pace of change with which we expect people to learn, adapt, and be productive. And so when you think about technology and process and people, we usually talk about technology first. It's the easiest. It's the most exciting. Hey, new features, new gadgets, new tools. And then we talk about the processes. And we sometimes forget to mention the people. I am excited by this move, Microsoft and Qualtrics and, and other you know major OEMs out there that are talking about the people side of our work and the health and well-being of people. And it is critically important. I think it's increasingly important within modern organizations to be thinking about how people are doing. And it's not just about efficiency and effectiveness of the technology and our processes, but are we burning our people out? Can we sustain the pace at which we're achieving that productivity? And so it's something that we need to put to the forefront and think about. It's not just take advantage of the technology. It's not just about refining the process, but how do these changes then impact the people within our organization? So I came up with kind of a little uh, a recipe of four ingredients to lasting change. And so these are things that I've written about, talked about extensively, really am passionate about. Uh, but number one, transparency, then being consistent. So consistency, collaboration, and iteration. And I'm going to get into a little detail around all four of those. But first, my last story. Um, so this is what I call the morning stand-up meeting. So working at an organization, very large organization in the Pacific Northwest, um, had been in the role for uh, less than a year and had some struggles with getting change to happen within this. This is a close to 2,000 person uh, business unit. And once again, I found myself leading a sort of a, uh, a shared services team that was a mixture of project managers and data analysts and, and engineers. 
working in an operations organization, support and operations. And so we knew with the new fiscal year that we needed to make some changes. And so we had a number of, so we maintained kind of our portfolio view of projects. We had regular status reports. We had templates in place. We were finding that, that people were constantly asking for updates to projects. And then we could track and see that these same people were never looking at any of the project plans. They were never entering the SharePoint site where we hosted all these things. So we could track and see, you know, people would say, oh, I was uh, unable to get this, the, the update. It's not refreshing. Be like, yeah, that person never entered the systems. Like we could see the logins. And so we said, well, something needs to change here. Um, we're spending so much time reworking uh, and what can we do? And then the other problem is that we had uh, strict prioritization. We're limited in our size. Um, we had about a dozen people in, the, in my team and we were running ragged, running sideways because you had executives that were coming in, going to the, the PM or the engineer that they were comfortable with working with on that last project and trying to pull them sideways and get them to work on their other projects that were not priorities for the broader organization uh, and were impacting our ability to go and get our work done. So I instituted a morning, a daily morning stand-up meeting. We installed a whiteboard in the hallway right off the elevator through which most of the broader organization, they walked past us in the morning. Now I had a number of people that were, they had flex schedules and were working from home. And I made it mandatory that this was an in-person meeting. So there were grumbles from a few folks who had uh, kind of adjusted in their schedules. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's not, it, it's not permanent. We'll do this as long as we need to, but it's important that everybody's there for the 9 a.m. daily stand-up. And so there we were standing in the hallway, and we put together, basically it was like a scrub meeting. We were going and, and outlining what are all the current projects that we were working, and what are the priority of delivery of those projects. So the project names, the the stakeholder like the key owner of that, that project. Uh, so we had them in order. We had them numbered. We had the, the lead on my team who was assigned. And then we had the, the ETA for so the estimated delivery of that, of that project. And as new requests came in over the course of the day. So first, one of the rules is that people were not authorized to change the priority of these projects if they had any requests outside of this prioritization, they had to come with the person making the request to my office, come find me and have a discussion. We weren't saying we couldn't change that, but it couldn't do it without being authorized. That took about a week or so. Of, it happened immediately, like the day that we started, where they came in, what are you working on? Well, this other project, well, they came to me, they just need me to do this. It's always the phrasing. They just need me to do this. Like, nope. I said, stop working on that other project. It's not the priority here. And immediately I ran into this flag. I had one uh, senior director, very hot-headed, uh, very passionate, I guess you could say. But came into my office, office was just uh, 
just inflamed, just enraged at not being able to uh, pull in two people working on this project where he just needed them for a day or two. And so I went over to the board and said, let's walk over, let's take a look at that. I said, all right, the number one, number two priority projects are from our VP with very clear end dates. Is your project more important than these two? No. Here's the third project, one of your peers. This is what's going on. This is why it's number three. Is it your project more important than this one? No. Basically worked our way through the prioritization list. Got down to the last slot because everybody was assigned. I said, this, this is it. This is all that we can do currently. Your project is next after that. Well, I think this my project is more important than that last one I could have this person work on. It's like, all right, let, do you want to go over to your peer to their office, let's go have a conversation. No, 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 I don't want to have that. Like, all right, well, I commit to you as this prioritization flows, as we wrap up these other projects, we'll be able to, here's the time frame we believe, we'll be able to work on your project. All right. So we had that conversation. I had that three or four of those conversations. Another time with that same hot-headed uh, director. But once people started to trust the process, they could see it. They could see the prioritization. They knew that because we had urgent projects that came in. In fact, that other that other director, we had a project that came in that was very hot that blew out the prioritization. And suddenly his item, which was next up, got pushed down another slot. And he saw that on the board walking by. He's like, what? what's going on? He's like, explain to him. Here's the nature of this new project. So anyway, long story short there is that we made the process very transparent to everybody. By being consistent in how we managed that process, we started to build trust into that process. As new requests came in, we would mark them over on the board. They knew that if it were urgent and they needed somebody immediately and it should take precedence over existing priorities... They knew they could come to me and that we could negotiate where that was and who's working on and how pro the other projects were impacted. They knew what would be communicated out about our status on those projects. And so that trust was built. After about, I'd say, a month, we stopped doing the daily stand-up meetings, but the process was left in place. And we moved everything to a digital format, which truth be told, was what we were doing previously. But now that we got people's attention, we built trust in the process, they then trusted that what they were seeing online mirrored what they had been seeing in person. So why this worked? So number one, uh, we made all of our activities transparent. Um, two, we kept going, that consistency. So even though we stopped doing the stand-up meetings in the mornings and people went back to their flex schedules and working from home, we still had that daily status um, digitally and shared that, that prioritization out with all stakeholders. Um, the third reason is that everybody had a voice so that people could be like, well, I'm working on this and yeah, it's the priority, but you know, we're waiting on these other items for this other team. In the meantime, I could be working on this other project. So we found a way, even with that prioritization, to get more done because we started to understand where are the long lead times around these projects? Where can we get started on these other efforts and show progress? 
And so anybody could go and write new requests on the board and add them in. And then eventually they, again, that they saw the process. They knew how they could participate. And then the, the fourth reason why it worked is that we constantly revide or revised or renewed our priorities and then communicated out those changes or non-changes. Hey, here's the status. Here's what's going on. So at the minimum, on a daily basis, they knew the progress being made against their requests. So the success overall, it hinged so much on changing the culture and the way that we were approaching projects. And culture is really that keystone, um, that cultural fit um, is the keystone to getting things done uh, within your organization and understanding, you know, what is what is the culture of how we work together? What is the culture of our communication? What is the best way that we need to convey this change where we know that people will listen, people will pay attention, and that change will stick? Always doing my air quotes here. Um, and this is really the key to how I was defining that digital workplace champion. So finding people who are really good at change management. It's because they are very transparent in what they're doing. They're very collaborative in working with you. These are often people that, you know, you know the type of person where you always feel like, you know, hey, they they're they really want to work together. They value my input. They listen. They share ideas. So you always feel energized when you're working with those people. They're consistent in their behaviors. They're consistent in saying, hey, we're going to go and do this. I'm, I'm going to go and do this. And then they deliver and they come back and say, hey, here's what we agreed. Here's what I delivered. Uh, and then they make that process iterative. So it's something that, again, you can go back to those people. So again, we know those people, those, those types of champions that are out there. Everybody wants to work with them. These are the people that you want to pull into your projects. So we, what we need to do, and this is kind of my takeaway from the, this experience, is creating a culture where change and building and supporting these kinds of change experts within your, your culture is really the center of our culture. And when you have change management as a culture within your organization, then you're going to find multiple opportunities um, for you yourself to step in there and add value as one of these champions or to uh, to uncover the, the, the digital workplace champions within your own organization and better highlight the work that they're doing, which does a number of things. When you recognize people and highlight the work that they're doing, a uh, funny thing happens that they want to do more of that good thing that you've recognized. So having a recognition and reward program that's out there, but specifically making it a cultural change that you're making so that everybody becomes this, this type of champion, that everybody is supporting those works. It, it, it's going to increase the volume of good works that are created. And there'll be more to highlight, more to talk about and really raises the bar overall for your organization. So that is in a nutshell of what I see that, you know, the, the rise of this, the need for these digital workplace champions and a focus on change management within the culture of our organizations. It's, I, I you know, I, I've been in, in IT for my entire career. 
uh, almost 30 years. And I've done a lot of things wrong uh, as a project manager, as a, as a business analyst and a project manager. Um, I, I've done a lot of things right. I've, I've, so I've seen kind of both extremes there. And I think as I've gotten older and, and calmed down a bit in my um, uh, uh, exuberance over the, the, uh, the project plan and driving towards that timeline, uh, and, and I've, I, I feel like I am uh, now more conscious of and aware of the human side of change management and understanding that people in general, they want to get their work done. They want to be successful uh, and they want to be uh, collaborative in their, their approach. So uh, I now just assume the, the, you know, the best intentions from my coworkers and understand that there's a lot of things that can pull us sideways. And I don't sweat the, the, the details of how people are going and executing on that. But I look at the broader patterns of movement and the fact that we are um, moving things forward or moving things in the right direction and focus on the small wins and recognize those, those wins uh, with other people. And that, that's just something I've, I'm happier in my work. Uh, I get along great with, with my team. And uh, so I'm happy to share more stories and details around that. Uh, it's funny when you go and you kind of look back over, like, what is my experience in this area? And so many you know, kind of foot and mouth, um, you know, experiences. It's just things you can't talk as much as I do and then not say a bunch of really stupid things over the course of your career. So I, I recognize that about myself. So, uh, that, that's fine. They were all, I had a lot of, uh, learning experiences. That's what it was. <laughs> a lot of growth opportunities throughout my career. Uh, but it's something that I'm always happy to have conversations and, uh, learn from others of the experiences that they've had. But that's what I wanted to share today. I hope that you found this uh, slightly entertaining and, and useful, but uh, please you know, feel free to uh, join us as we, we, I say that the Queens, we, as I do these uh, podcast drops every Friday, join me in the coming weeks. I've got some great guests. So that I've already done some recordings. Uh, and so we've got some great, content coming up in the uh, the coming week so hopefully you can participate uh, every week and subscribe and uh, thanks a lot for listening you've been listening to the collab talk podcast new episodes are published every friday and you can find us on spotify apple podcasts iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services thanks for listening Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Dux Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, and I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. 
Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens podcast. <laughs>